Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Hi, welcome one and all to our Sunday conversations on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, it's been an amazing journey since we've transitioned to this particular broad range of topic conversations, very often focused on the spiritual, some might say religious, but very much from the heart. Last week, we had a great uh, in-depth discussion on relationships, female-male relationships, which was great. Um, this week, I'm really pleased to bring back one of my dearest friends. She's like an adopted mom to me as well. They're just family to me and Archer. And we've had her on uh, many times over the years, sharing some amazing stories, amazing uh, spiritual experiences as well. And uh, just to let you know that the focal point of, of what we're going to talk about is leading to the Spiritual Awakenings International Conference 2023. Uh, that'll be happening June 10th and 11th. We'll tell you all about that, how you can participate and why I think it's important to all of us now to learn about it. Uh, so let's welcome back to the Robert Scott Bell Show Sunday Conversations Edition, and Archer. Hi, Scott. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you, Anne. And I'm I'm so appreciative. I just reached out to you like on a moment's notice and said, man, I'd really like to talk about all the kinds of stuff we get to talk about together on our Sunday show. And I know there's a big event coming up I just mentioned, and we'll talk about that as well. But uh, you've written extensively as an author, as well as spoken internationally on uh, spiritually transformative experiences over many years that we've been together. And we've had quite the journey. Uh, and a lot of people are, because of uh, the last three years of lockdowns and shutdowns, have begun to open up a lot more to talk about these issues very directly. And I I'm fascinated by this journey, and I'm excited that we can um, relate some of the experiences that led you down this road, so to speak, uh, that goes beyond sometimes just uh, materialistic reductionist topics, which can be fun too, but it's so much more. Life is so much more than that. I totally agree. I think that... Um... It, life is actually spiritual and the materialist view is the, you know, it's, it, it seems very real, but it's like the play that we've decided to play. It's, it's exactly that it's okay. In this script, I'm going to do this. I, I was thinking the other day and talking to um, my husband Alden about this experience I had once when I was traveling all over the world and I'd been traveling for so many days in a row and I was so exhausted, you know, you end up, I, I'm in this city and then that city and I get on a plane and sometimes I'm in three different states in one weekend. So it's one of those times. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I could not remember, not where I was or what I was doing. I couldn't remember who I am. <laughs> I'm lying there in the dark going, oh my gosh. Who am I? What am I doing? And I had that realization that I had to remember what play am I in? What script am I doing? And to remember, I had to say, who am I with? Aren't I with someone? Oh, yes, Alden. Oh, I remember. And this whole lifetime came into focus for me. And then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, and I remember. I know where I am this weekend. I know what's going on. And 
It's kind of like that. When we can step outside of the game we're playing, outside of the script that we've written for ourselves, we begin to see the bigger picture. We also can take charge of the bigger picture better because yeah. we're not so emotionally entangled in it. Well, and I just want, for those of you that don't know Anne, it wasn't because she was drinking heavily that she forgot <laughs> who she was and where she, no. And I, 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 I've been there in that context of travel to such a degree that I'll wake mm -hmm. up and, you know, I don't think I've forgotten who I was yet, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know where I am, what day it is or what I'm here to do that. You know, that I rec resonate with that from certain times where you're just on a pace like that. And yet to uh, be able to, uh, I guess, detach and not panic in that situation uh, is very interesting because I think people are hearing this going, whoa, wake up and not know who I am. That's kind of scary, too. Uh, and we get into issues of, you know, who who are we really? What is our true identity in that context? Right. Beyond just this physical shell we are inhabiting while we're here. Well, today I was on another show. Um, I was on a show with A.J. Parr um, and we talked about this exact topic because um, I had an experience once where I was hit by a drunk driver. And in that experience, I had, an, I had a near-death experience. I died. And when the medics came to check for my signs of life, they said I was dead. And instead, they, for the drunk driver who had hit me, they called an ambulance. For me, they called a morgue and said that I would be coming, and they sent a hearse to pick up my body. Big, rounded vehicle. And um, when I saw that, I wanted that, but my perspective on seeing it is from far, far above. And then I looked down, and I realized, oh, look, they're coming to my car with a blowtorch. The blowtorch is lit, and they're going to burn me. Don't they know not to burn me? And I thought, oh, my gosh, they think I'm dead. And then I realized, oh, geez, what if I am dead? I can't be dead because I have a three-year-old daughter. And then it was a matter of seeing if I could get back into my body. And just before they cut me out of the car with the blowtorch, I managed to nosedive into my body and move my little finger above the rubble where the car, the engine and everything had been pushed forward. And I definitely was in bad shape, but I moved my little finger and he starts crying. He goes, Oh my God, you're alive. And you know, had him put the blowtorch away. Yeah. But the identity that I knew that I was, what, as long as I was out of that body, I felt so free. It was sort of like Christmas day, summer vacation, a day at the beach and your birthday all rolled into one. And, and I was just ecstatic going, oh, my God, the freedom. I'm out. Yay. And then I realized, oh, no, I have to go back because mm. I have a three-year-old and I see her in the car and I know I have to return. But that sense of identity, that's who we really are. And the joy isn't just about the freedom. Mm. That is also who we are. We are beings of joy and love and you know, that's what and uh, I was talking about this on Friday's show a little bit. There was a story mm -hmm. about scientists uh, making brain cells in a Petri dish, you know, trying to create a brain outside of the body. Uh -huh. And they're seeing synapses fire. And then the, now the, there's legal arguments about is this a sentient being that, you know, deserves protection? And, you know, I, I talked about my experience of having an NDE near death experiences, you know, when I was in sixth grade mm -hmm. uh, and how that 
transform my view of who I thought I was, do I really am? And, and people that have had these things, now you call them spiritually transformative experiences, will often have a, a come back and have a completely different worldview, usually enhances their life, makes their life more extraordinary than ever. Uh, and, you know, then the other thing is the materialistic kind of world, scientific reductionist world says, no, that was only about your neurons were firing and you were hallucinating and things. And, and I have a, uh, I struggle a little bit because I, I don't believe that even if I say it, or as you share your story, I don't say it to convince anybody of that reality. Cause it's my reality or it's your reality. At the same time, there's a sense that people have of it, that there's something more, you know, even if they've been trained to believe, well, it's just, everything's just physical and it is just synapses firing. I mean, how do you address or interact with folks that may try to tell you you were hallucinating? You know, I've never had anybody do that. What's happened is I have people come up and say, oh my gosh, I always wondered about that. But but when you speak from, you know, you speak from experience, I'm not speaking to convince anyone. This is not a theoretical argument. This is a story. This is yeah. my experience. This is real to me. And it's not the only experience that I've had. So when you begin to build that you know, the, the strength of the tower gets stronger and stronger and stronger until it can't be debunked. It's too strong. There's an argument and an awareness for every single thing that may happen. But, you know, one of the things we're talking about here is this conference that's coming up. Spiritualconference.org is for um, Spiritual Awakenings International. And their conference is coming up June 10th and 11th on Saturday and Sunday. And I'll be speaking on Sunday, uh, June 11th at 2.30 in the afternoon Pacific time, 5.30 Eastern time at that conference. And uh, I'll be doing the story about the dolphin rescue from a shark attack. Now, Scott, you know that story. Oh, yeah. But, We've talked about um, it on this show. For those that are longtime listeners, and people love that story. Of course, you know, Super Don loves the elephant story uh, we've talked about as well. But the the extraordinary nature of the witnesses that saw this happening is part of yeah. that story. It's like the impossible happened in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, what what I'll get into it more at that conference, of course. But what happens after the sh after the dolphins rescue me, um, they get me into chest deep water and they surround me. And clearly, they could leave, right? They've done their job. They could go ee -e, and off yeah. they go, right? But yeah. they didn't, and that's that becomes an even more important uh, important part of the story to me, because I realize, gosh, there is so much more to life than we can imagine. Because the dolphins knew that I needed to be rescued. I got an inner message that told me to lie down flat. Now, that was obviously to make myself a platform so the dolphins could lift me up. They lift me up. They carry me in. And then they encircle me. And they do this e-e-e-e-e thing and this beautiful choreographed dance. And then they take turns touching various parts of my body very gently, very slowly. And I knew for a fact what was happening. I didn't know why it was happening. I was blown away that it was happening because I've already been pulled up by a riptide, seen a shark coming at me, been rescued by dolphins. And now I'm in the middle of what could only be considered a ritual, some ceremony that's going on with people. It's, it's Christmas Day. There's people all over the beach and watching this and but 
I said to the dolphins, I spoke to them and said, thank you, thank you, and all the things that you would normally think that you might say, I love you and all of that. But I also said, you're changing me. I know that you're changing me. And they were literally changing me such that I felt on a vibrational level that every cell in my body was going to be different. Now the proof is in the pudding. So what happens afterwards is that I now have skills and abilities and awareness that I never imagined myself having the, these abilities, truly. And yet I do. And all kinds of things began to happen. And you know that. I've written about it. I've spoken about it all over the world, event after event after event. And, you know, in, in my real life, I'm a pretty... Um, I'm a pretty down-to-earth person. I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for many years. I went on to become a writer and a producer, and I've worked with presidents of the United States, heads of corporations, lots of celebrities. I am a very down-to-earth, just as solid citizen as you can imagine, and yet the mystical, I believe, is 99.9% of what's going on here. And most people miss it if they don't pay attention. And we're all vibrational beings. That's what the dolphin story taught me. We are vibrational beings. And where's our vibration? You know, what are you vibing at? That's the that's the big question. That's going to make the difference in your life. Well, in, in your experience of you, you've painted a diverse picture because I agree. I've seen, I've worked with you on projects and how grounded you are and pragmatic and getting things done, which is very, you know, physical world. Ultimately, you know, you've got to get it done oriented results oriented at the same time, as you point out what facilitated that your capacity to be so amazing at it is that other side of it, the unseen for many people, or maybe the, the, the doubted side of it, that, that really opened you up to have these, this skill set, which is quite extraordinary in this life to have you work with, some of the most amazing souls that live on this planet or have lived on this planet more recently. And you interacted with them and facilitated and helped them along the way, uh, not looking or seeking a uh, special, uh, let's say recognition for it, but you also were driven by that inner guidance or inner uh, messages to say, you know, this person needs help. You need to get in there despite all odds and obstacles against the possibility of doing it even. It's true. Grounded is a really good word. My husband wouldn't agree. Um, I'm always grateful that he's with me because, you know, he thinks I'm not at all grounded. Well, that's I agree that I Alden is a grounding force in that's the relationship stuff I talked about last week, the unique ways that uh, the energies, you know, come through us, male or female, and we all have feminine and masculine properties at any given moment we can tap into. But in terms of a grounding relationship, I, I know what Alden does, and I agree. At the same time, though, your skill set to be able to ground people in the, into the physical world realities and need to accomplish things here is pretty extraordinary, considering how much of the people would concern, consider esoteric or energetic that would go, wow, I don't know how you tapped into that. That's amazing. Well, and, and imagine working with someone and, and saying, I know what you need to do, and I know how you need to do it. That's from the knowingness. And that's what's so cool is that when we move more into our own spiritual awareness, it comes with a greater sense of knowingness. 
And, um, and then, you know, I mean, I've literally had people say, do you know who you're talking to? I'm like, yes, but listen, I'm telling you the truth. And if you do it, you'll see. And they do. And it's great. You know, I've worked with a lot of major companies too, Apple Computer, Target, um, and worked with the, the presidents and founders of companies. But, um, but always it comes down to uh, I mean, they're often asking me to do things that I have never done before. Now, I don't bother saying, but I don't know how to do that because obviously, you know, sometimes it's asking me to do things that have never been done before. But we have that capacity to have knowingness and that's a great place to live in. That's what keeps catapulting us ahead. And it comes from a desire to have knowingness, a desire to want to achieve things. And this isn't like having, um, it's not like having a personal goal and wanting to do it. It's, it's spontaneous. It's, it happens inwardly. I had this, you know, I love animals, Scott, you know that. And I know everybody else knows you as Robert Scott, but yes, you are like my adopted son. So Alden and I think of you as our kid and you're Scott to us. So Robert Scott Bell is... I've said this to people that have known me since, you know, basically almost childhood or young adulthood all know me as my middle name, you know, as my mom calls me Scotty still to this yep. day. Uh, and that people met me after a certain age, know me more as Robert or Robert Scott or RSB. And I, I still resonate with all of it. And that's the thing, you know, some people on the journey and we've met that we know that have changed their name. It wasn't even part of their name. Because yeah. something changed in them, and they felt like the name that they were given at birth didn't suit them anymore. For, fortunately for me, the name still suits me. Either one I can resonate with, so I haven't abandoned it. But some people don't understand that concept, and they, they cling to an old identity that may be no longer, uh, let's say, relevant. But for me, thankfully, it's all of it. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. I, I can go either way, too. Um, so... Um, back to back to our identity and and where we stand you know i think that um this knowingness that we were talking about the, a story that comes to mind that's just cute as heck i told you you know i love animals and um and i really love animals like when i went on safari and alden wasn't coming along he made sure the people who were coming with me knew to keep me away from the animals he thought i didn't have enough sense to stay away from the lions and maybe mm-hmm. it's um, and so I really love animals. So there was this place uh, near where we lived in North Carolina at one time. We lived on Lake Norman. And near us, there was this place. I called it a petting zoo. It was not by any means meant to be a petting zoo. But for me, it was a petting zoo. And you were supposed to get in your car and you were supposed to drive through and look at the animals. And you could get this bucket of feed. And from your window, you were allowed to let the birds, you know, like the ostriches or whatever, peck at the food. Or you could throw some out for the deer or whatever. Well, my idea of a really good time, and Alden wouldn't do this with me because he'd been too many times and he he didn't like the potential experience that we were going to have. So mm-hmm. another friend came and we opened the side doors of, of a minivan. You know, they they scoop back and lock in place. But um, but the minivan was going beep, beep, beep. Well, I wanted those doors open because I wanted to sit in the middle and hold a bucket of food. And I wanted the zebras to come in from either side yeah. and eat the food out of my lap. 
so that I could be I could be this close to their heads and see these long eyelashes and all the markings and and they wouldn't bother me because they were more interested in the food. So that's the experience I'm after. Did, they, did anybody and, warn you about the continents of most zebras? They're not like yeah, domestic animal yeah. horses, even. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know all about them. I I I dealt with them. So. In this experience, the problem was this: these doors going beep, beep, beep. So that's not going to work. And I'm with the friend and um, Bill, and and Bill said, "Oh well, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do this because I don't know how to turn those alarms off." Now, in my life, I am not at all mechanically inclined. Like if the toaster broke, everybody in the house knows and did it because I'm not mechanically inclined. So. Here I hear myself saying, oh, I know how to do that. And I'm thinking, I don't know how to do that. So the real me is actually speaking because the real me is so excited about being with the animals that I've moved into knowing this. Now, how do you turn off the beeper in a car? Who the heck knows? But I get out of the car. I open the back hatch. There's a little box on the side. I take my fingernail and I unscrew the little box, I open the little box and I pull out two wires and the beeping stops. And my friend said, gosh, how did you know how to do that? We don't have the same kind of car at all. Never done this before in my life. And I said, I don't know. And I said, but now we've got it, let's do it. So we were able to have the experience. The zebra came, it just it was perfect. At one point I had four zebras in the car. The little ones were trying to get in with the big ones they are all eating out of the bucket. It was phenomenal. So that knowingness, that how to do things, that awareness of things comes with that joyous excitement of being where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. and and being of that vibration, that high vibration of soul, yeah. of spirit, of who you really are. Well, so that's... It defies that's convention. Kind of dolphins. Yeah. Huh? It defies convention in terms of m most people's belief systems about what you're describing. It almost sounds like out of the matrix, you downloaded something, right? Um, I, I need to yeah. know how to fly a helicopter. I need to know Kung Fu. Suddenly you're a, you're a mechanic of a, on a minivan. Uh, and you you got what you needed when you needed it. Now, for me, this was about how God can communicate with us and support us in those moments where, again, defying, defying convention, defying the possible, making the impossible possible, and uh, making that a normal part of life makes life, all life, a miracle, right? And some, I've heard people say, yeah. either all life is a miracle or none of it is. And, and I tend to trend your direction that all life is a miracle. And uh, you know, I want to get out of the way of my own mind when it would say, no, that's impossible. And that's been part of my journey to realize, like in the healing realm, when they say it can't be done, I know that it can be, but I may not know how, but I want to be open to the guidance of spirit to be able to direct me to do that. And it's beautiful how, you know, the first story about the dolphin is a life-saving story, you know, life and death on for this physical body you're in. This other story about hanging out with zebras and feeding them little or nothing to do with a life or death scenario other than if they wanted to they could hurt you we know that but that wasn't so how does spirit meet you in just the joy of being here it's not always about a miracle for saving your life but the miracle of the joy of being here and celebrating life that's also fascinating to me to see you know both ends of the possibilities of miracles being anything is possible yeah. You know, I, I want to share another story with you. I will. Um, I, I hope I am able to get this into the um, talk 
for Spiritual Awakenings International on that uh, Saturday, Sunday, the 11th of June. But for you, I want to share that years later, my husband named our company Dolphin Media. It's Dolphin Media Services now. Mm-hmm. Um, to honor the dolphins. Once he met me, he changed it from Alden Butcher Productions to Dolphin Media. So he's honoring the dolphins. Um, You're on this trip, right? We go down to Florida, Mm -hmm. right? You're on this trip with us. And we go to swim with the dolphins. This isn't the trip to New Zealand. Did you go to Florida with us? No, I don't think I was at the Florida trip, but I did go through that... uh quote unquote, non-petting petting zoo that you described yeah, yeah, when we were in yeah, Carolina. Yeah. And we, so I know that experience being with you and opening it all up and, and how extraordinary that is. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. But I, I want to talk about going down to Florida to this place where they, um, they have an educational facility with dolphins, dolphins who have been wounded or whatever, and they bring them in and, and people can come and swim with the dolphins. And I was excited to go do this because it was marking the anniversary of me having been rescued by dolphins. So we're down there, it's Christmas, our daughter is there, and we go swimming with the dolphins. And the dolphins at that facility, they go through kind of their little, you know, they've trained to do this with people so they'll pull you you can hold onto the dorsal fin and you know they'll pull you or they'll do tricks for you or whatever so the whole experience is finished and Alden and Sarah our daughter is getting out of the water and they're leaving and um and I'm standing there looking still in my wetsuit at my dolphin going away and I thought only thought I didn't even speak out loud I, I want to thank you, but I'm disappointed mm. and I have to admit it because I wanted, because of that dolphin rescue being so intimate and powerful. And this is marking that experience. I said to this dolphin inwardly, I wanted to feel the intimacy. I, I wanted it to be like a kiss, mm. but I thank you anyway. And I just wanted you to know, you know, that's what I wanted from this experience. Now I'm watching my dolphin leave. And then I see my dolphin coming up, puts his head up and he takes a deep dive down and he turns around. And I thought, oh, look at that. He's coming back. Now the the guide, you know, the person who takes you in and everything has left because our experience is over. We're supposed to be going to the changing rooms, getting out of our wetsuits and leaving, right? So she doesn't know I'm still there. She's gone to welcome the next group that's coming in. I'm watching my dolphin come back. She also had warned us, don't let, don't actually touch the dolphins unless we're with you and their rostrum can um, cause damage to your jaw and your face and so on at you because it's so powerful and blah, blah, blah. And This dolphin comes deep water up, straight up in the air, does ee I am absolutely certain that this dolphin is saying, I heard you, I understand, right? And then he turns and he comes right to the edge of the pool where I'm standing, turns and looks me straight in the face, comes right in and kisses me mouth and holds the kiss and i'm like oh my god thank you 
thank you. That's what I wanted. And then he goes crazy, you know, ee and jumping because he wanted to, he wanted me to actually speak to him as a beingness and he heard it and I acknowledge him. He acknowledges me. So the, the, person who's in charge hears all this commotion because the dolphin's going nuts and I'm yeah. going thank you thank you and, and she's like no oh my gosh panic yeah. out just in time to see the kiss yeah. <laughs> so Alden and my daughter come back out too but for me it meant everything because it was like oh my god mm-hmm. he actually heard he understood it was a cognition oh. of of this desire for a certain expression and um, and an experience that we both got to share. He and I got to share it. So extraordinary. And does remind me of the trip in New Zealand when we were in the Kaikoura, the the South Island, and we went to this wild marine sanctuary. It was the wild ocean. And we went out on a little boat because there was, you know, there's all kinds of dolphin tours that they would take on the little, I think the dusky dolphin, different things. But we were hearing about a a large bottlenose dolphin, like three meters large, like 12 foot or something huge. And that was on his own. And he he became known to the locals. I don't even remember the name of this dolphin. You might remember why he was on his own. It's because he'd had some interactions with people and he sought people out. So he left the pod and he would come to the boats to look for individual people and wanted to connect with them. So we took you and our daughter out to actually have that connection. And you did tell them about yeah, it. Well, and there was no guarantee that we would find this dolphin either. Right. Cause it, dolphins in the wild. Now it's not in a contained area. It can no. do what it wants. And so we were out there just, and eventually this dolphin showed up and, and we had our wetsuits on cause it was cold water, right? South Island of New Zealand. And, and Sarah and I, and Sarah was much younger than little, we went out into this open ocean and just swam. And of course this dolphin has the choice of the interact or not. And it was actually on video. I don't know if you still have the video, but I remember swimming around it. It was just kind of playfully swimming around us. And at one point, uh, got almost nose to nose. Now, I didn't kiss it. He didn't kiss me, but it was like, we were staring at each other eyeball to eyeball for what felt like an eternity. It was like a very conscious moment where an intelligent animal or soul in that body was interacting, communicating. And it was like, wow, that was really a transformative experience as well. Uh, so, you know, I've always had that dolphin appeal too. We have that in common and, you know, I've always loved being in the water and all of that. So it was just one of those, you never can explain fully except there's a communication, there's a vibration associated with, um, mm-hmm. you know, going in with a loving intent and, you know, all we were there is to have this great experience and, and it went and it happened for both me and your daughter, Sarah. And, uh, yeah, never forget it. One of those, I would call that a spiritually transformative experience as well. Yeah, it is. It's exactly that. And, you know, I, I want to go back to this conference again, because I really want to help people understand what it is. So, you know, you can attend for free. It's absolutely free. And you can go and register spiritualconference.org. It's that simple. Register for free. And um, at spiritualconference.org, you'll be given, uh, you see the yellow choices there, register for Saturday, register for Sunday. You want to register for both. On um, Saturday, um, Mark Anthony is speaking. He's incredible. Um, He's an attorney who um, was trained at Oxford. He's brilliant. 
um, but he's also a fourth generation psychic medium. We're scheduled to have and him on so, the show, I think. Come, yes, yeah. you're going to have him on your show. And he wrote a book called The Afterlife Frequency. And I read the book and loved it. And he talks about um, how thin that veil is between this life and the other, the afterlife, and how you can bridge that gap. And it's a frequency. Again, it's a vibration that you can get into that allows you to be able to speak to your loved ones on the other side or have reassurance or um, have some sense of the, um, of the, you know, eternal nature of life. Yeah. Life goes on. Have you found, nothing's ever uh, Anne, in the, the past few years in particular, you know, things have gotten harder for some. A lot of people have lost loved ones and friends. We all have had someone infected, affected by what we've gone through. Uh, and this is a global phenomenon. And that may be a part of the design, if you will, and I'm not excusing any bad behavior on any part, but I'm just saying that in a conscious spiritual sense, this may be the opportunity or providing an opportunity for uh a, a reawakening, if you will, an opening to the spiritual side of ourselves. Because when things get a little rough and tumble on the outer world, if it's all so easy, we kind of forget about what's really important. And then it becomes a little more difficult. Suddenly you open back up to the possibility of, you know, spiritual connection. Some would say religious experiences as such. Have you found that there's an opening that wasn't there a few years ago even? Yeah, you know, um, Spiritual Awakenings International is the organization that's hosting this conference. And I've, I serve on their board, and I have been amazed at the growth. Um, they're almost three years old, and they're already in 78 countries of the world. So sought out after people from 78 countries of the world. It's just amazing to me. It means it's a global phenomenon. People seeking information about these spiritually transformative experiences that they're having every day. A connection that someone, a phone call that they weren't expecting or that they were expecting and, and shouldn't have known about and yet it happened. Or, you know, out-of-body experiences, dream experiences, all, all sorts of awareness that's opening up on the planet. And yes, I do feel that that's what we're in the middle of. I think it's happening. And I think people want to know more about it so that they realize they're not alone. And I love this organization for that reason. They allow people a platform to really talk about their experiences in a very accepting and open way. And it also, I was uh, speaking with AJ Parr today, as I told you earlier on his show, and um, he ask me what I thought the main benefit is. And I think one of the main benefits of people talking about these experiences is that you lose the fear of death. This big, dark shadow that hangs over people, oh my gosh, and someday we'll die. And, and yet it's not, it's like, oh gosh, and someday I'll graduate and won't it be beautiful? And, and it changes the nature of everything. But because there is no death, then you realize that you might as well enjoy life to the hilt. You might as well really make the most of it and discover what it's really all about. That's that's kind of my view on the thing. And yes, I think there is an opening. And I think that when things are darker, that people turn to the light more and want to discover more of what the truth is. You know, some of my journey, because we've been friends for so part of the family, if you will, for so long. And, you know, I, I was asking questions of all the, uh, what we call the orthodoxy 
uh, within various religions because I was curious, not because I wanted to do gotcha journalism on them. I was like, but there was always that that point where I asked one question too much, and 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 it was often about life after death and and you know immortality in terms of the spiritual realities. And then they would inevitably say to me, "Well, some things you have to wait until you die to learn or to know about." And that didn't strike me right. It's like, you know, petting the cat backwards. Something didn't fit right in that moment. And I kept searching. And of course, then I had, you know, that that NDE, if you will, that confirmed for me that I was more than this body. And then the question becomes for people watching or listening that may have not had an NDE or an STE, do you have to wait to die to figure this out? Or do you have to have a near-death experience like this in order to come to this conclusion and transform and alter your life for the better? Because I found that when you lose the fear of death, you actually lost what, what you really had was a fear of living. You're afraid if I live in a certain way, I could die. But the point of, you know, being here, it's a great gift and we're here to do extraordinary things. And, you know, some people might try to define the extraordinary as mundane. And depending on what you're here to do, I think everything's extraordinary. Uh, so, the question is, do we have to wait to have this experience or are there things that we can do and practice to open people up, whatever their religious beliefs are now, to, to, to have a deeper relationship or a deeper reality, you know, come across them or imbue them, if you will, with that, ah, I'm not afraid anymore. I can now live. You know, it's a great question because um, in speaking all over the world, lots of people have said, well, wow, that's your experience, but, you know, what's there for me? And it's like, well, the whole point of it is that we learn this one lesson, the law of vibration, because we can actually change our own vibrations. You don't have to have dolphins come and play with you spontaneously in the ocean in order to be joyous, right? So now I go in my backyard and I watch the birds and I get so excited when the red tail hawk swoops down. My vibration is elevated by that. When our vibration is elevated, everything changes. Our whole life is actually affected by whatever we um, choose to put ourselves into every day. If you focus too much on the dark side, it's going to affect every area of your life. It's going to affect your health, your money, everything. You know, you know Alden well, and one of the miraculous experiences that we had was um, curing him of incurable um, stage three, stage four metastasized melanoma that had become um, five parotid tumors that were rapidly growing. And he was told he might have from two months to two years to live, depending on whether he underwent immediate surgery. So he didn't undergo immediate surgery and we didn't listen because the tumors were already so large that we knew that if they did the operation, he stood to go blind, deaf, paralyzed at least on one side and drooling the rest of his life and maybe not able to swallow. And they warned us of that. And so we said, nope, thanks, he doesn't want it and we'll go home and we'll do some natural things. And you know, the Harvard educated surgeon was aghast like, well, then I'll never see you again because he'll be dead. And it's like, no, no, just rest assured. We know a lot of things, you know, we'll, we'll be back. Two and a half months later, we go in and we're going to see the Harvard surgeon because all the tumors have disappeared and we wanna understand what that means. So he walks in, he takes a look at my husband and he says, what the hell happened? And he's lost his, you know, professional demeanor completely. Yeah. 
starts shaking and he grabs hold of the chair and he flops himself down and he said, what has happened here? And, and I said, well, remember we told you we we're going to do some natural things to try and shrink the tumors at least so that if you had to do surgery, then it wouldn't be so awful, you know, with all the nerve impairment and everything you described. And he goes, yeah, but where did they go? And I said, well, we did the things that we thought would make it go away. We just want to know because we can't see it. Does that mean it went away or did it go internal? And he said, it didn't go internal. Cured incurable cancer. If it went away, it went away. But how? How is that possible? He pulls his computer around and he wants to start taking notes. and But his hands are shaking and he can't really type. And I said, well, you know, we started with neuroplasticity. And he said, oh, my God, you're over my pay grade. <laughs> now, this is our Harvard-educated surgeon. Doctor, yes. Top of the game, right? At a top hospital in San Diego. And, um, and I said, well, you know, I mean, that, that's just, you know, what people call it when, when you, what's the placebo effect, but neuroplasticity means that whatever you communicate to your body is communicated to every cell and can change everything. So we started there. That's vibrational, right? So every day, Alden gave love to those cells every day, twice a day for 20 minutes. He sang an ancient name for God. He chanted Hugh, this ancient name for God, to those cells because he believed that that vibration was high and that it could create healing. He also never spoke about death or, um, or about fighting or about killing the mm -hmm. cells. Um, because we called a, a therapist that we knew and she said, no, cancer is a very powerful force, but love is the most powerful force on the planet. So if you think about killing it, then the cancer is going to fight. But if you can communicate love and that those cells can transmute to healthy cells, then um, then you have a chance here that you could really cure this. And that's where we began. And it opened the door for everything else in tough months we had cured incurable cancer they actually interviewed us to say can we document what you did because uh, the oncologist said i feel like i am sitting in the presence of the future of medicine mm -hmm. and it's like well it's all available it's not the future it's now and yeah. she said but really we can't do it yet because they're locked into the drug culture yeah, exactly and what and they wouldn't have permission to even do these things, but they wanted to document it so that um, when when things do open, when things change and see things are changing, because maybe 10 years ago, they wouldn't even have interviewed us. Exactly. You know, well, maybe they would just call it spontaneous remission. But we knew we did a lot of things. It wasn't just neuroplasticity. It wasn't just the power of love, but that's vibrational. And so we have the chance to use vibrational shifts to heal our lives on every level relationships money yeah. health right everything and what's beautiful about the many beauties in that story as well uh, is taking us out of a warfare mentality you know yeah. in anything but let's just talk about cancer how many of us you know are taught that you must fight it you must kill it as you pointed out and i and i think about this mentality in terms of a state of consciousness is that really life affirming and life sustaining to be thinking about killing something? 
putting our body into a state of fight or flight, much like, you know, Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist has talked about that, uh, which is very draining. You know, it, it saps the energy that the body is using normally for growth and healing. And in that context, love more powerful than fear, hate, and all of that uh, manifesting along with, you know, as you point out, we talked about other things for Alden to do from a nutrient mineral perspective and different plants and things. And so uh, all of this is extraordinary, but would it have worked without the energetic shift? I, you know, these are valid questions to ask. And for those, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so I, either. I think right? that, was, that was the underpinning right. for us. That really was the underpinning, at least from our perspective, understanding spiritual laws as we hope that we do. Yeah. It's we're responsible for our lives. And if we are, then what law do we want to apply to each issue in life? And in this case, it was the law of yeah, love. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have to kill something. I mean, sure. and it doesn't mean you don't have to fight for survival. I mean, that's part of the experience on this planet. Uh, and I don't deny that. I just think that we overemphasize it to, to be the only way very often. And, and we won't yeah. sit back and listen to the voice, the guides from spirit to say, well, yes, you needed to fight then. You, you've done that. This is what needs to happen now if you if you want to live. And and again, the law of love, love more powerful than all of that. And it opened you up and opened Alden up to be willing to try something that maybe in the fear, and, and I don't mean that the surgeon was fear-mongering, but it was based on his consciousness and his experience of what he had seen, what he knew, and what he was trained. He wasn't, he wasn't fear-mongering. He actually was afraid. I mean... Mm -hmm. He didn't understand what we were talking about. He didn't understand in the end what we were talking about, but it certainly gave him something to think about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, okay, so the bigger picture is that we had to go home and say to each other, okay, that was really scary. And do we think we can do this? Mm -hmm. And really it was the only way. For us, it was the only way. It's not always the only way. It's not sure. everybody's way, but for us, it was the only way. Alden, it was the only way. And he certainly didn't want to go the route that the doctor was describing. And mm -hmm. e even they admitted that in the in the state he was in, at the stage he was in, that um, they didn't really have a cure. They could try this, they could try that. And we knew those things they would try would make him very, very sick. And we knew that he would die. Now, what we wanted was we have a new book that we've just finished and called Five Blue Rings. So fiveblueRings.com, you can learn a lot about us there, um, isn't even out in the world yet, but we wanted him to be alive because that book is the story of both of us. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted a complete and total healing and we decided, okay, so we'll either get it or he'll graduate and go into this beautiful, blissful other world and I'll figure out what's going on here. Both options are actually good. And that's another thing to realize is that there is no death. Life is a continuum. It's beautiful if you make it so. And even if you have a difficult life now, a few shifts later with vibration, everything can change. And I know it sounds simplistic. And I know if people are going through heartfelt difficulties because it has been a difficult time. But it's what takes me through difficult times is knowing this. So I, 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 no. I have a question for you, Anne, related to Alden's story here that we've been talking about. It, sure. Is there a way, this is a silly question for you, but I would like for you to be able to, or do this, 
to put a 30-minute presentation together, perhaps to even present at the Cancer Control Society's annual convention in Glendale, California, uh, over Labor Day weekend. Uh, and I'm going to recommend you to present there at this annual, this is the 45th year or something that they've been doing this. And this story could be so profound for that audience and what we've discussed and described, because there are many people that are um, caught up in the fight, you know, the warfare mentality. And I'm not saying don't fight for those of you that's resonating with you, but there's so much more possibility of healing when you look beyond just what you've been programmed to believe is the only way to get through it. You know, that would be cool. Um, it's the right kind of audience. Uh, someone immediately asked me, uh, the chairman of the board of a big company that we worked with, he said, Ann, why don't you write this book? And my sense was that if Alvin and I put this book out, that a lot of people would turn to us as if we're cancer experts and we're not. We're more spiritual connection experts i mean people <laughs> yeah but that's the thing that's the sense i would you could relate as well what you did but you, with also the caveat that this is what i was guided to do these are the things that made uh were made available once we switched the consciousness of it and and that would right. guide people to that being the real story not so much what he used and what he did even though that could be helpful i don't dispute that mm -hmm. but i know you would present it in that way much less if you did a book on that it isn't about you being a cancer expert but i i definitely can appreciate the concern that you would be viewed out on as that because of this extraordinary healing but i'm just throwing it out there because that's the spirit moved me to ask and say i think that'd be awesome that was that was a great idea, Scott. Yeah. Yes, I would love to. And I know that. there's a lot of detail, but if anybody can do it in 30 minutes or less uh, and not yeah. be a Domino's pizza delivery guy or gal, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 30 minutes or less would be perfect. Um, be, you know, it did surprise us. Sometimes I would be standing, here I am in our pantry looking for guidance, saying, okay, nothing's changing. Is there anything else we should do? And it would be call Scott, call Robert Scott Bell, because I'll ask him about the minerals, call so-and-so and talk about this, mm -hmm. or, you know, why don't you look behind this shelf and look at that and think, oh yeah, the selenium, oh my God, we're not taking the selenium. You know, guidance was everything, but we sometimes heard about something like take two teaspoons of this twice a day, people had said, and it didn't resonate with us. We're like, I don't want him to swallow that twice a day. And Alden said, no, I don't feel like that. And if we both agreed, that was end of conversation. So we followed the guidance. So what yeah. you said was perfect. We did what was right for us. And that's what I always tell people to do. You know, it's like, heck, I'm not an expert. But I, I also had said to the oncologist, I said, I know our approach wasn't scientific. Hmm. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, we used a synergistic approach. You know, we approached it from every angle, energetic body, alkalinity versus acidic. What does cancer like or dislike in a Petri dish? And how can we get that in in a Trojan horse approach? It, each and every aspect, homeopathics, herbal formulas, food that he eats, and and how could we put all of that together and 
I know you would, as a scientific approach, what I was thinking, you would want to try this and see how it works. But we didn't have enough didn't time. didn't have the time to do it that Given way, yeah. Two months, two months potentially to live. So it was like, we got to hurry up. And at two months, he was feeling so good that we thought, I don't think he's dying. But the tumors were still there. At two and a half months, one day he was shaving and his neck was turned. And I'm like, whoa, I don't see any tumors. And he said, oh my gosh, look at that. And instead of skiing out like what, it looked like someone had depressed their thumb where each tumor was. It was a in, indent. And it, that's indent, when we yeah. went to see the surgeon to say, did they go internal? Where did they go? And nope, they just went, all of a sudden they were oh. done. They had, and he did do the surgery. And so I think this is a real telling fact because they knew for a fact that it was parotid gland, five tumors rapidly growing, and it had already metastasized to the lymph nodes. So they know that, right? So when this is all said and done, and the surgery is not a scary issue anymore, still major surgery, but not, not like he's going to end up paralyzed or not able to swallow or whatever. Um, the doctor was a little aggressive, and he wanted to test all the lymph nodes. Well, he ended up taking them out. Hmm. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of lymph nodes. And when he came out, seven and a half hours later, I thought I would die in that waiting room. Everybody had gone. Here he comes out, sits down. He's all tired and exhausted. And I'm like, what happened? And he said, I removed all the lymph nodes. He said, I swear to you, I thought I would find cancer somewhere. And I didn't. And I'm like, you didn't find any cancer? And he said, a normal human being, you or I, we have cancer cells in our body. They're just not growing, you know, but they're there. They're aged. They're just floating around. And there should have been some cancer cells. There's nothing. None. Yeah. He said, I don't know how you guys did it, but there was no cancer whatsoever. And then I realized, wow, that's really interesting. That is transmutation. That is the alchemy of life. That is like cancer cells just gave up and became normal cells or went away or did whatever they did. They were gone. Yeah. And, um, and the parotid gland we figured it had been compromised anyway so we let him take the parotid gland out and you know there he is i mean we said well how often do we have to test and come back and he goes you're done he goes he does not have cancer yeah. and i don't need to see you again a few things that come to mind in this and again this has been a, an incredible sunday conversation with my friend and family member i can call her and and archer yes. uh about all that you can tell me mother's day your mother Mind, right? Yes, a happy Mother's Day because it is appearing on Mother's Day. This interview, uh, the 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 inability to constrain the possibility for miracles on multiple levels at a moment's notice, at a, all at the same time, where we the conscious mind couldn't do it. There was too much, as you pointed out, going on. You didn't have time to try this, see how it goes, and add something else. But the spiritual guidance that you got to just use certain things and you got intuition, both of you, and that's not it. It might've been good for somebody else, but for not for Alden, it wasn't. 
And all of that could work beyond the capacity of a supercomputer, artificial intelligence computer, I believe, that direct communication mm-hmm. that facilitated that healing. His journey here is not over. You, As you point out, you have a mission, you have some things to do, and you were almost accepting that, okay, I'll figure it out if not, but here you were also open and willing, as was Alden, as the person that was suffering or in this way, uh, to make that uh whatever it was happened based on the guidance you were getting. And as my journey as a homeopath, doctor, teacher, physician, healer, I've learned that it isn't my job to find the right remedy for someone who comes to me for help. And that's weird because you think as a homeopath, I got to find the right remedy for you. I realized that it was for me to reconnect the person coming to me for help with the true source of all healing. And that is their divinity. And that is their communication with the divine. Unless I could do that, I might get some things, but they wouldn't get it. And anything I did might be limited in its ability to help. And so it's really a revelation, I think. And I speak to doctors groups all over the world as well. And I try to teach them as that a cornerstone of their job is not even be the best surgeon that they are to know every time that they do that, this is the way they do it, but it's to be open to the guidance of spirit in that moment that you've done a hundred surgeries and hundred percent success doing this one thing. And in that one moment of that next patient, you get the message from God or spirit that if you do that thing that you know to do and you do better than anybody on the planet, you will kill that patient to be open in that moment. And that's why I said, you know, choose your doctor of any kind wisely based on their ability to be open to the communication of spirit like we've discussed today. Well, the doctor at um, in San Diego at the hospital there, the oncologist, when I said that it wasn't a scientific approach, she insisted it was. Mm-hmm. She said that synergy, if we know enough, is what heals. Um, And she said, we just don't always know enough. And she said, we absolutely could not do what you do. And we have billions with a B of dollars available to us and the finest minds on the planet. And we couldn't do that. Now, her admitting that means there is more to this than one might think. And it's powerful beyond well, what is science? Science is the process or techniques and, and, and programs to discover what we don't know, to, to learn about creation itself. And uh, so some people think you have to be, you know, materialistic only and not God-centered at all. And I, I disagree with that completely. I think science is the, dis- or, you know, attempts to discover the world around us, within us, and make sense of it and learn how it works. And you did that, but you didn't need an NIH grant. You didn't need it to go through a corrupt, you know, uh, organization, even if they met well, and you did discover a way to do that. But again, that's also the responding to the individual needs, which is unique also to homeopathy and most holistic ideals is we respond to the individual needs and that's not a one size fits all. There might be things that are common to a lot, but always be being sensitive to what Alden needed in this case. So I can't wait for you to present. I'm going to do my best to get you in that. Uh, Cancer Control Society Conference, as we wrap up here on this Mother's Day Sunday conversation, remind you to go to this website, uh, and it is right here, spiritualconference.org. It's linked up in the show notes today, the Spiritual Awakenings International Conference 2023. Ann Archer will be presenting. Many others will be presenting. It's free Saturday and Sunday, June 10th and 11th, and uh, Ann will be presenting on that June 11th, but the whole thing sounds so extraordinary, Ann. I can't wait to participate in that and also talk to Mark Anthony on on the show as well, and God bless you. Love you and Alden so much. You know, it's been an amazing journey that continues here in this lifetime. We love you too. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Remember the power to heal is most definitely yours.